climbers. Today, this is one of those days I always love my job, but some days I really, really love my job. Today, we have a country legend and icon that's going to be our guest on the climb today, telling great stories, sharing advice for climbers like you. So I want to keep the short and sweet. Johnny, do your thing. Let's get into it. Welcome to the climb. This is a show dedicated to helping singers, songwriters, and indie artists like you create leverage in the music business. Yes, you got the talent. No, they're not going to pluck you from obscurity and turn you into a star. That was the that was the days of yesteryear. Now you got to do it yourself. And when you create that business, when you create that cash flow, when you create that attention for yourself. They're going to come to you. That's called leverage. That's why we called it the climb. C-L-I-M-B, creating leverage in the music business. See what we did there? That's genius. Uh-huh. That's a Baxter name from my good friend and co-host, Mr. Brent Baxter. Brent's a hit songwriter with cuts by Alan Jackson, Randy Travis, Lady A, Joe Nichols, and more. Got a couple couple number ones in the last 12 months on Southern Gospel. So he's the tra- freight train still full steam ahead on the tracks. <laughs> and uh, what I love about Brent is he helps songwriters like you turn pro by revealing how you write like a pro do business like a pro and once you get up there and you're competitive and it becomes a subjective thing then the next next part of that equation is having relationships with the pros and he facilitates that too you can find Brent very easily at songwritingpro.com once again that's songwritingpro.com and I would like to introduce you to my co-host, Johnny Dwinell. Johnny owns Daredevil Production. They're breaking the artist digitally by identifying new fans through data. Listen, if you're an artist looking to increase your streams, blow up your video views, sell more live show tickets, and get discovered by new fans, TV, and music industry pros, then Daredevil Production can help. Daredevil has worked with multi-platinum artists like Colin Ray, Tracy Lawrence, Ty Herndon, and Andy Griggs, just to name a few. You can find Johnny at DaredevilProduction.com. That is production, singular, no S, and there is no S because there is no other. Johnny D. What's up, brother? Happy New Year, brother. Happy New Year. Happy New Year. Happy New Year. So I'm super stoked for today, and I want to thank you, Johnny, for hooking this up and making this happen because this is making my day right here. Oh, my God. This is going to be so much fun. Um, the guest that we have on today, uh, I'm becoming number one fast friends with, and I'm blessed and honored to say that. I'm learning so much. Every time this man talks, you just shut up and listen because you're going to – there's like gold just dropping out. Hey, you remember the Muppets uh, – remember the Muppets character that was Steven Spielberg, and he just had like cash coming out of his arm, you know, out of his <laughs> collar and out of his uh, <laughs> sleeves and stuff like that? Like this is our guest today, but it's just nothing but gold value bombs just dropping around. And and so much to learn and such great stories and we're gonna have a really really good time on this and I'm also blessed to say that he, he's a new client too and we're gonna do some really cool stuff on digital and so here we've got one of the greats one of the icons that that um, is adapting is pivoting right and it. so here it comes so you know all y'all out there that haven't you know figured out that you got to pivot yet boy. You, you got to no, get your get a, get get a get a hitch and to get along now. Let's go, right? That's right. So let's take care of a little business first. Um, join the climb community if you haven't done so already. That's uh, facebook.com forward slash groups forward slash the climb community. Uh, you have to ask to be let in, but we let everybody in until you do something so bad that you have to be roadhoused out. You know, we just have that roadhouse mentality. Always be nice until it's time 
to not be nice. Right? Right. <laughs> We've got songwriters, indie artists, indie musicians, singers. And it's a this is a group where everybody is active and supporting one another. If you've got questions about marketing strategies, promo stuff, uh, people are hooking up and doing song rights. They're doing international song rights that are getting sinks, that are getting cuts. We couldn't be more proud of this community and we want you to be there. And it's all about you too. Like we want to hear about your gigs. We want to hear about your wins. We want to hear about all the positive things that are going on in your career. And we, and there's a lot of attaboys and a lot of attagirls in there. Brent, share some of those with us with, um, with the wins on Wednesday. That's right. Every Wednesday we post uh, the new Heights post where we encourage you to share your music related wins with us so we can all celebrate together. We know where to find them and people can high five you. And let's see, just a couple of these here more than I have time to get to, which is fun in and of itself, but a couple of them, let's see Marvin Adcock, uh, climber from Kansas. I believe he says, I don't know if everyone's familiar with the Netflix series, Tiger King. And yeah, Marvin, we are, but it seems that Peacock, a streaming service owned, um, by NBC is developing a new series called Joe Exotic. And you know, I learned yesterday that Crucial Music has pitched four of my songs to the series uh, Music Supervisors for Consideration. So keeping fingers crossed for that. So getting pitches is is a win because you can't, you can't get a home run if you don't swing. So congrats and good luck, Marvin, on those pitches. That'd be great. Way to go, I Marvin. I would have to tune in. Uh, you know, I haven't seen any of the Tiger King or any of that stuff, but I would tune in to watch – to hear Marvin's song. I would definitely do that. So Marvin, I love you. I would tune in to hear you talk about the check that you got from that. Cause I feel like it's going to be significant because those are popular shows, but straight mm-hmm. up I, I watched like one and a half episodes of that. And I, uh, the first one, and I'm like, I am never going to get that time back. And I actually felt dumber than I did <laughs> when I started. That show is horrible, man, <laughs> but people love it. People love it. But I was like, I don't understand this at all. Like what is going yeah. on right now? <laughs> My wife watched like five minutes. She was like, pass hard pass yeah. <laughs> yeah exactly so but marvin will be a lot feel a lot smarter if he gets a big old check from it so there yeah. you go uh let's see here carrie cunningham climber said i filled up my whiteboard with stuff i get to do so she is making plans for the new year sounds like and Love man it. that that is that is winning like doing the hard work the thought work on the front end that's important so good job carrie uh paul demarco said what a start to the year Having written 403 songs last year, I'm going to pause wow. on that. 403 songs last year. Slow clap, slow uh-huh. clap. Dude. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I've been lucky to have four songs taken by sync publishers to be pitched to major TV shows and three co-writes with hit writers in the cards for this year already. 2022 is looking good. Good job, Paul. And we got some others, but I uh, just want to share those wins. So. I love that. Quick, quick note about Carrie Cunningham. She was uh, she was in the, the five-day Facebook ads challenge. Oh, awesome. And uh, so I gotten to know her and her husband a little bit because she uh, she had they have a house here in Nashville. They mm-hmm. also have one in California. And, you know, she was on our uh, she was on our uh, video, video content, content challenge. Show yeah. As well. yeah. But uh, man, she's she's crushing it. That girl's like straight up a force of nature. I think I think she might be able to run a country. So I'm excited to see what Carrie <laughs> coming in does in 2022. And I am not kidding. Like, uh, That's awesome. like when, yeah, when she when she's focused on it, you just, you know, get everything off the tracks because stuff's going to get <laughs> let that train come through. Yeah. Brett, you want to introduce our guest today? We'll get on with this because I'm, yes. I'm, so- I'm chomping at the bit. OK, so following the death of Elvis Presley in 1977, today's guest came out of nowhere with this self-written tribute song. The King is Gone on the independent Scorpion label. The record took off immediately, gaining airplay on country and pop stations across the country and around the world. To date, The King Has Gone has sold more than 5 
million copies. All of a sudden, today's guest was a star, and over the next several years, I mean, a lot of years, he's been at this a minute, success over years, has scored hits including I Love You, I Love You, I Love You, and classics, Older Women Are Beautiful Lovers, Jam, and You're Gonna Run My Bad Reputation. It's Only Make Believe was a duet with his good friend and mentor Conway Twitty. And our guest also teamed up with the legendary Jerry Lee Lewis on You're Never Too Old to Rock and Roll. To date, he has scored over 30 top 10 records. Oh, and he's been the voice of Elvis Presley on movies and TV. I mean, come on, Ronnie McDowell. Welcome to The Climb. Welcome, Ronnie. Well, thank you. It's good to be with The Climb and you boys. And uh, I had so much fun on the last uh, thing that we did. Yeah, the song Uh, title challenge. Oh, yeah, I love that. So it's good to be with you all again. Well, thank well, you. Awesome. Glad awesome, you didn't get awesome, sick awesome. of us and, and run away. So No, so, no. You know, I think I've had COVID a couple of times, but uh, I tell everybody I live on Tough Street. I got over it in three days. And, yeah. uh, <laughs> and I, I mean, that's the God's truth. I, I guess I ha- have one heck of an immune system, thank the Lord. And But a lot of my friends, you know, weren't so lucky with that stuff. My yeah. doctor passed away with it, but oh, he no. had really bad diabetes. And, oh. uh, yeah, so I think you know it affects people in different ways. But yeah, enough of that. It's a little enough bit of, of a good to be. Yeah. Well, I'm glad COVID didn't get you, and I'm I'm glad that uh, I guess that made us seem easy by comparison. So thank you. Thank you. So well, you know, um, one of the things that Ronnie is going to drop on us today is is a phrase that in our uh, short amount of time that we've been able to spend together here so far this week, I have heard this multiple times because uh, it's super profound and it's super significant. And uh, I think that as as a former artist myself, it, there there was a a lack of this understanding, so it creates some anxiety. It creates some. Um, you know, from the from the push that you have to have to want to be an artist, and the drive that you have to have to want to be an artist, uh, there also has to be a an understanding of of how the world is going to work. You know, God has a plan. Uh, the the universe is as it should be, and as Ronnie McDowell says, you know, fate is a hunter. Uh, mm-hmm. Ronnie, since we started this off talking about. Um, and, and he also, by the way, not mentioned in the introduction, Ronnie has has gotten cuts with songs that he wrote. He had a publishing deal before he was an artist, and he's mm-hmm. gotten cuts by artists you might have heard of, like Johnny Cash, like George Strait, and, and a host of other artists that are the uh, major major artists that you would that you would know. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then he goes in. To, Ronnie, would you tell us just all that whole story about? The, the the king is gone because the, the 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 story that you told me yesterday, going down to Memphis and that whole thing, like don't leave out an iota of, of detail because the way that you explained this to me with the acetates and all that, like just take us through that whole thing and how this because this is amazing. Well, you know, and I tell everybody this is my life. Uh, when I was a little boy, uh, my sister would set me down in front of the TV because. She would go to Randy's Record Shop in Gallatin, Tennessee, which was at that time the biggest mail order house in the world. And I would go in there when I first got my driver's license. Well, I didn't even have that. I had a permit, but I didn't care. I drove anywhere anyway. And uh, (laughs) so one of the first places that I would go was Randy's Record Shop. There was a lady in there by the name of Miss Dot. Well, Dot Records. That was owned by Randy Woods. No way. Randy's record shop. So uh, I'll get back to that. So 
uh, when I got out of Vietnam in 72, and by the way, I want to tell everybody that I'm a proud three-term combat veteran of the Vietnam War, and I tell everybody this, damn proud of it, and I am. Thank you for your Thank service. You. Yes. Thank, you. Thank you. So when I got out of the service, I'd already been writing songs. I had bands in the service. I would play in enlisted clubs on Friday night, Saturday night in the officer's club. They would pay us 50 bucks a night. That was a lot of money back in those days. I would send that money home uh-huh. and uh, I wouldn't touch it till for four years. So I got out. So I had quite a little stash saved up when I got out, but I always wanted to be a songwriter. And so, um, one of the first places I performed ever in front of anybody was in Vietnam. Me and Chuck Nietzsche and Joe Hedgepath, we had a trio. We took a break from fighting, and they, they had a makeshift stage uh, where they lifted the airplanes up, and they lifted it up just a little for a stage, and we was getting ready to go on. Now, mind you, I'd never sang in front of anybody in my life, ever. I was scared to death. And so this old man grabbed my arm and he goes, hey, son, right where you're going to stand, Elvis Presley stood there in April of 56. I was on this ship in San Diego. He did the Milton Burrow show there. And I was like, yeah, right. Well, come to find out he did in the same spot. And we sang this song. Why I chose this, I don't know. But if we did, uh, well, when my blue moon turns to gold again, which was an Elvis song. Huh. And... Um, which is so much irony. And yeah. so when I got out of Vietnam, I started writing songs there. First person I wrote a song for was Johnny Cash. Johnny, I told you this yesterday. Yep. So I walked into the house of Cash and I said, Mr. Cash, I've written you a song. And I had it on a little reel to reel about that big. Because Brent, back in those days, in 72, you probably weren't even born then. No, I was getting close, but not quite. Yeah. So anyway, we had little tape recorders about that big. And me and my little brother, we'd put the songs on a little reel-to-reel. Mm-hmm. But I said, Mr. Cash, I've written you a song, but um, I'd rather play it for you with my guitar because when I was a kid, I was trying to sound like you. And he goes, well, let's hear it, son. So I went in my best Johnny Cash voice. I went, well, I believe in good old rock and roll. And I believe that music is the soul of country blues and pop. I could never knock hard rock, cause all and all it's rhythm from the heart. He said, son, you have been studying me, haven't you? I said, yes, sir. So then uh, I was driving to work. I was telling Johnny this yesterday at a club, prettiest club you've ever seen in your life called the Country Godfather. Uh-huh. And it was a Friday night, and I was listening to the Grand Ole Opry, and Roy Drusky came on. Well, Roy Drusky had just come off of a Chris Christopherson number one record. Look a yonder, there comes Jody and the kid. Well, this piano riff started, and I went, I've heard that before. Where have I heard that? Well, lo and behold, Roy Drusky started singing a song that I had written. I didn't even know he recorded. And he did it <laughs> on the Grand Ole Opry. I pulled over on the side of the road and ran around the car two or three times. Whoa! Still to this day, boys, that's one of the highlights of my entire life. Oh, and so then awesome. I went on to write songs for Billy Walker, Jenny Shepard, the Wilburn Brothers, who were my heroes. Uh, Farron Young, Eddie Arnold, Dobie Gray. Oh, the wow. list, you know, I've been so blessed. I, I tell everybody I'm the most blessed soul on the planet. 
So then I'm driving down the road, August 16th. I just rehearsed with my band. Now, here's some more irony for you. The last song we did, August 16th, we rehearsed in Nashville. I can take you where the building was right now. And uh, I said, boys, I know Elvis has this song out called Moody Blue, which was great number one country record. I said, but I want to do an old Elvis song. Let's do Return to Cinder. Mm. And we rehearsed that. Jumped in my Camaro, uh, 77 Camaro that me and the bank owns. You know how that goes. <laughs> yeah. and, I'm and I'm driving down by Metro Center. Remember where Metro Center was? Yeah. On 65 yeah. right there. Yep. And I uh, turned the radio on. I can take you to that spot. And the, it was 2.22 in the afternoon. The reason I know that, because that little voice said, look at the clock. It, it does it all the time. 222, that's my number. And the DJ goes, Elvis Presley has passed away. Before I got to Rivergate Mall, I had that whole talk, talking part came out of my soul. Not my heart, but my soul. It just went. I was barely six years old when I first heard him sing. And somehow I knew from that moment on, it'd be a lifetime thing. And I stand in front of a mirror day and night, and I listen to every one of his records, and I repeated every word and every note till I almost got it right. Actually, I said, till I finally got it right. Nobody gets it right but Elvis. And I was <laughs> determined I was determined that someday I might be able to stand in front of an audience and somebody might come up to me and say, you know, Ronnie, well, you sound just a little bit like Elvis. And then I started singing. So anyway, I wrote that part. Uh, the next day, I'd never laid eyes on Elvis. I flew down to Memphis, got there at 8.30 in the morning. You would have had to have been there. The media did not do this right. There were hundreds of thousands of people there. It was five abreast up two miles from Graceland. And I was telling Johnny this yesterday. I have no earthly idea how I stood in line from 8.30 till 5 o'clock that afternoon. How my bladder held up, I'll never know. <laughs> True. But I got 10 feet from the gate. But it was August. It was hotter than blue blazes that day. It was August 17th. And I have a story about that. I want to tell you after I tell you this story. So then I got 10 feet from the gate and they shut it. I didn't uh -huh. get in. And so they started rioting and I didn't want no part of that. Yeah. So I got my Camaro halfway back to Nashville. Well, they've opened the gates back up. So my point to that is when I got to Scorpion Records where I was signed as an artist and a writer, there was a guy named Lee Morgan standing in the office. He said, hey, Ronnie, let's do a tribute to Elvis. And I said, he'd been coming to see me at that Godfather's Club. He said, man, let's do a tribute to Elvis. And I said, man, I ain't wearing no jumpsuit. And he said, that ain't what I'm talking about. <laughs> he said, listen to this song I wrote. I listened to it. And I said, well, listen to what I wrote the other day in my car. So what we did, we combined my talking part and then, there was a man who gave the world his song. And so we put those together and we went in the next night, Thursday night. Everybody was just going, hey, how are we going to do this? And the, I don't even know who those guys were. The only guitar player I knew was there was Bucky Barrett. So Bucky was playing the guitar on it. He said, let's do it like Are You Lonesome Tonight, that kind of feel. So we did. After it was over. Lee Morgan, the co-writer, he said, man, you got to pay for this. I ain't got no money. I said, man, I got 40 bucks to my name. What are you talking about? He walked out the door. 
<laughs> I wrote $2,800 worth of hot checks to pay the musicians, the studio, <laughs> the tape. I swear, I mean, I was like, do you know how much $2,800 was Ooh. in 1977? Oh my I mean, That's just a lot. in today's money, astronomical. Yeah. I was like, my heart was going, oh, I'm going to prison. I'm going to jail. My so. I left the king is gone, the co-writer is gone, the money's gone. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Your freedom's gone. My freedom's gone. My good reputation. So gave, yeah, that's right. But they gave me that big old tape about that big, about that thick, and I slept with it. I swear, but I didn't sleep. I got up at uh, 5 o'clock, flew down to the monument building because I knew they would make big acetates for you. Those were big records you could make for eight bucks. So I went upstairs there was a lady coming toward me, and I was sitting on those stairs, and they're still there, by the way, those metal steps I was sitting on. It's one of the only buildings that's still there, uh-huh. Monument Studios. And uh, they, they would make tapes and acetates, and this lady walked up, and she goes, Ronnie, what are you doing here this early? And I said, Gail, I want eight acetates. I don't know why I wanted eight, but I did. And I went upstairs, and she said, come on. Well, here's the irony in that. You know who that lady was? Scotty Moore's girlfriend. Huh. Oh, wow. You know who owned the studio I did The King Has Gone In? Scotty Moore, Elvis's guitar player. Oh, wow. Where's, where's the irony in all this? Yeah. Wow. So, I did not know that Gail was Scotty's girlfriend. So I go upstairs and I make eight of those. Now, by the way, I wrote hot checks to pay for that, too. Oh, I was doing the math in my head. <laughs> yeah. I did. I wrote a hot check for those. So after I left there, I went straight over to Wino Radio, little AM station in Madison. And here again is irony, only a mile from Colonel Tom Parker's house. Hmm. He was there that day. He lived there. Wow. Well, I walked in and I said, would y'all play this? She said, well, we don't do that off the street. And I said, well, it's about Elvis. She said, well, hold on a minute. She took it back to the DJ. He went like this through the glass. Come here. Stand right there. I'm going to play this. See if you get any reaction. It got a quarter into the record. All of his phone lines lit up. He goes, damn, something's wrong with my phone. For three solid hours, he had to play it. So I left there. And by the way, they came out and put me on the Channel 5 News. Yeah, one of the calls you said was Channel 5 uh, News. And they're like, can we come down and interview you? Because yeah, they interviewed me. They just played it, y'all. They played that song for three hours three straight. Three solid hours. Had, saying, the back to back to back to back. It, it, was, it was like a movie. Wow. Yeah. I mean, my life was just like going crazy. And I mean, like, I can't believe I'm about to get arrested, too. I know. They had to get the highway patrol. People were flying into that little AM station. They were crowding around it. It was just like exploding. They had to get the highway patrol to stop people on Gallatin Road from coming in there. Wow. And so they put me on the news, and I jumped in my car, car, Camaro, went straight down to WLAC, the biggest rock station in Nashville. I walked up and did the same thing. Would you? He play said that? rock station, y'all. He said rock station now. Yep, yeah. rock. And yep. and so the lady again, she goes, well, we don't do that. We're the number one stop. We don't just do st-. I said, I told her what happened. She said, well, hold on a minute. There were three guys standing in the hallway. He listened to it. I could tell he listened. He did the same thing. Come here. You stand right here. We're going to play this, see if you get any reaction. He came out three minutes later. You know who that was? John Conley. Oh, it was the DJ. Yeah. 
He said, you have jammed our phone lines. You got a monster. And I left there and guess where I went? Straight to my mother. She yep. worked three jobs trying to take care of us. There was 11 of us. The first place, first person I wanted to go to was my mom. So I walked in, she was mopping the floor at truck stop up by Kentucky Downs, pure truck stop. There's only a concrete slab there now. I walked in, I said, Mother, take your apron off. You don't have to work no more. She goes, Son, can't you see I'm working? I said, No, Mother, you never have to work again as long as you live. I took her out to my car. That song was on every station, and she never worked again till she died. And that was the best part of that record. Dude, that's, that's so awesome. cool. Isn't that a crazy cool story? And well, that, the point being that if they had opened up the gates again and you had got in, and that's why I say fate is a hunter. Yeah. And I got in the gates. I don't know if you've ever been to Graceland. That's I a have. long driveway. It would have taken me two hours to view his body if yeah. that was really him. Anyway, uh, so fate literally picked me out of that crowd sent me back to Nashville, and I had no earthly idea that I'd get a gold record from Canada, Europe, France, Germany, Russia, Turkey. Yeah. I mean. Yeah. And a platinum record, a multi-platinum record in the United States. Yeah. 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 And the rest I'll, is gravy. <laughs> but I want, yeah, but I want y'all to know, uh, those hot checks, get this. The, the guy that owned the record label, I'm not going to mention names, but anyway, he was in Florida getting out of the record business. I called him Thursday that night and I said, I'm going in to record a song about Elvis. He said, everybody and his uncle's going to be doing that. I told you I'm getting out of the business. I don't want anything to do with it. So when it happened that Friday, he found out about it. He said, oh, uh, don't worry about that. I'll come in there and take care of that. I bet. So nice. goes the record business. There we go. <laughs> so anyway, boy, do I have some war stories. But anyway, I still, even though I'm the most blessed soul on the planet, you know who the first person to ever listen to mine and my little brother's song that we wrote for him? We go to the Farron Young Deaton building, which is still there. Mm -hmm. So I walk in, it's 1972, and there's Billy Deaton, Farron Young's manager. He's sitting at the front desk, and I said, hey, uh, we've written a song for Farron Young. And Billy Deaton goes, well, boys, you boys are in luck. The sheriff just happens to be upstairs, and I'm going to take him up there, and you're gonna he's going to listen to your song. Did you know he listened to our song? <laughs> and, and I want you all to know that back in those days, they had an open-door policy. You could literally walk up and knock on a door to a publisher – They'd say, come on in, we'll listen to your song. Can you imagine them even thinking about that today? No. They wouldn't no. even dream of that. It's the, the opposite. Like the gates of Graceland, you know? It, oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, my goodness. That I mean, that's amazing. And, well, of course, you, you know, the, the story, I mean, what a great thing to be able to tell your mom you don't have to work anymore. But, of course, a part of me is the music business guy's going, well, what's a pipeline on that money like? How long is it going to take to come Oh, yeah. <laughs> Okay, hey, I got maybe like another month. Quarterlies are coming in. Let me call BMI. <laughs> but oh, hey, let me tell you what happened that night. I, I was I, that night. I was so elated. Oh man, that Friday night, I went up to the park and got in a swing, and I was swinging like you're swinging you, like Jesus. John Anderson. Oh yeah, well that's another story. 
<laughs> so anyway, I was swinging, and here comes this guy and said, hey, man, there's somebody that wants to talk to you on the telephone over here at the dairy dip. I said, what? He, this guy searched and found me out. I was in the park and, and that night, that Friday night. So I get on the phone, and this guy goes, hey, uh, this is uh, so-and-so from United Artists, and we want that record. Mm. I said, what are you talking about? And he said, we want that record. The king is gone. And I said, that record is on my label, Scorpion. Well, we want it. And I said, uh, you can do that if you sign me as an artist. He laughed. No, we just want the record. I hung up on him. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Good for you, but then, then you got another phone call like within a week of this whole thing happening, right? Or two well, weeks? Well, the next night, I told you, I was. they wanted me on the Grand Ole Opry. Yeah. And so I'm standing backstage, Brent. Imagine this. Just wrote the song. Didn't know the song. I mean, we just threw this thing together. But they wanted me on the Grand Ole Opry. So I'm standing backstage tapping the wall, and I'm going, Lord, please let me remember these words. Jim Ed Brown walked up to me, put his arm around me. He said, son, you're nervous. You're going to do fine. I said, Mr. Brown, I'm not afraid to sing. I just, we just wrote this, threw it together. He said, when did you do that? And I said, two days ago. He goes, two days ago? Well, good luck, son. <laughs> <laughs> but I want y'all to know I went out there and I didn't miss a syllable, a word. Well, can so you know what? Just, it's true. It's true. You don't have to remember what you said when it's true, right? When you tell the truth. You know, and I want you to know, right. uh, still to this day, I'll never know how I got through that. E either Elvis or God was hanging out with me because I never missed a word or a breath. And and then two weeks later, I get a phone call. I'm in Louisiana get, getting ready to do a show. And this guy goes, hey, you got a phone call in the back. So I get on the phone and this guy goes, Ronnie, there's a private jet for you. You get on it. You're on American Bandstand tomorrow. I said, huh. yeah, right. Who is this? He said, Ronnie, this is Dick Clark. So I go to the airport, Baton Rouge, get on this private jet. And he said, make sure you get some sleep. I didn't sleep a friggin' week. Can you imagine? <laughs> well, I get off of that jet. I get in the helicopter. They land me right in front of the ABC lot. I walk. They rush me into makeup. They're putting makeup on me. And here comes Dick Clark. And he, I went, Dick Clark, man, I've been watching you since 57. I can't believe I'm here. He goes, Ronnie, you've sold a million records in a week. You're number nine. You deserve to be here. I said, I know, but I just can't believe I'm here. And I'm so glad that y'all pantomime, Mr. Clark, because I don't know this song that well. And he said, Ronnie, we don't do that anymore. When that, <laughs> when that red light comes on, there'll be 80 million people watching you. And I, my heart, I was like, please don't tell me that. He 80 said, million people. He said, Man. you'll have cue cards underneath the camera. They didn't have monitors in, in that day. Mm -hmm. He said, you'll have cue cards. Well, if you Google me doing that on the American Bandstand, the King's Gone, I look like I knew what the hell I was doing. I mean, <laughs> I look like I was in total control, but inside, buddy, I was petrified. But I made it through it. I never missed a word. That's awesome. I, You know, I mean, I think there's so many lessons from that. One, it's, you know, write what connects with you as a writer. If you want to connect with other people, if it doesn't connect with you, Odds are it's not going to connect with other people. If you write something that connects with you, it has a chance, right? The other thing is the right song at the right time. Timing is everything. If you come out a year later, if you've taken a year to get around to it, get the money together, we won't discuss the legalities of that, get the money, and finally, like a month later, maybe, 
you put that out. Hello, Pantheon Podcast listeners. Christian Swain here to tell you more about my experience with Raycon earbuds. Our family now has three pairs of Raycon earbuds around the house. And my wife just grabbed a pair of the headphone pros to replace some headphones from a company that was double the price. And yes, she loves them. Now, if you haven't pulled the trigger on a pair of Raycons, or even if you have, but you're in the market for another pair because they're just that good, well, now is the time to check them out because they just launched their upgraded model of the best-selling everyday earbuds. With Raycon's upgraded everyday earbuds, now you also get active noise cancellation, ergonomic design, and multi-point connectivity that lets you pair with two devices at once. New quick charge function, three customizable sound styles plus awareness mode, available in a variety of vibrant new colors to complement any and all skin tones. I even have a pair of earbuds in a cool green color. I have tried just about every earbud known to humankind, and these Raycons are fantastic. Seriously, if you've been wanting to check out Raycons, there truly is no better time. You're going to ask yourself why you didn't check them out sooner, and Raycon offers a 30-day happiness guarantee. So, what are you waiting for? Go to buyraycon.com slash pantheon today to get 20% off your Raycon order, plus free shipping. That's right, you'll get 20% off and free shipping at buyraycon.com slash pantheon. Buyraycon.com slash pantheon. Stuff moves on or somebody's taking that spot. Somebody else grabbed that real estate. So it's it's the right song at the right time. And you were the right guy. Yeah, and timing was everything. I mean, but, you know, the way I look at that is that that was just all meant to be. Yeah. And it was meant to be that Dick Clark called me just a few weeks after that. And he said, Ronnie, do you know who Kurt Russell is? And I said, yeah, he's that Disney actor. <laughs> he said, well, he's playing Elvis Presley in a new movie I'm producing and I want you to be Elvis's voice. And I said, Kurt Russell don't look anything like Elvis Presley. He said, wait till you see a screen test. I'm sending it to you. I saw that and the transformation. I went, good Lord. Well, he was nominated for an Emmy in that movie. And I got, I did 38 songs. And then Kurt goes, you know, Ronnie Elvis made me a star. And I said, Kurt, you were already a star. And he said, are you kidding me? He said, John Carpenter, who produced the Elvis movie, did a movie next that I starred in called Escape from New York. Yeah. And he paid me 20 million bucks. He said, Elvis made me a star. <laughs> yeah, <no point. laughs> That's right. So anyway, wow. I did that. And then I did... Uh, Elvis and me with Priscilla Presley. And everywhere I go, everybody goes, hey, what's she like? And I go, I don't know, but I know what she don't like because I tried that. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know, but I know what she don't like. <laughs> That's fantastic. Oh, my God. <laughs> but anyway, uh, in 1958, I was telling Johnny, you know, I went, I lied to my daddy. I said, Daddy, there's a monster movie on now. I'm eight years old. But my sister had showed me Elvis on the Dorsey shows, on the Ed Sullivan show. 
And so I knew who he was, and she'd bring home all these records. So when I saw that play card sitting out in front of the Liberty Theater in Franklin, Kentucky, and it said King Creole, Daddy, he wasn't paying no attention to it because he thought Elvis's music was the devil's music. Mm-hmm. I thought it was the coolest stuff on the planet. Yeah. So I, I told Daddy, I said, Daddy, there's a monster movie on called King Creole. I made it sound like a monster movie. Like a giant lobster, like said, a giant crawfish. Yeah. yeah. And I said, can I go? And he gave me 50 cents and I got popcorn, Coke, and I got to see Elvis 30 feet tall in black and white. And that was the most amazing experience, the yeah. music in that movie. And, and my first thought, like it was when I was six, when I first saw him, the way he looked and everything, and I was like, how can anybody, that guy's too pretty to be a guy. <laughs> you know, that was my that was my little eight year old brain and I'm all boy, you know. Yeah. And uh and I never will forget, I think about this all the time. What if somebody attacked me on my little eight year old shoulder and said, Hey, you see that guy, you're gonna be his voice in movies. And see the Jordanaires back there pretending to play the horns with all that, uh-huh. they're gonna be on your first number one record, older women make better lovers. How could I have wrapped my mind around that? Yeah. I think about that all the time. And then my friend Steve Jeppe, who owns the Baltimore Orioles and the world's largest comic book distributorship and is a bigger Elvis fan than me, if you can believe that. Yeah. Anyway, me and him are like brothers because I did a painting of him and Elvis standing in front of his museum. He has Walt Disney's original Mickey Mouse drawings. Wow. He has... He has the number one Superman comic, the first one. I said, Steve, how do you get this stuff? Of course, he goes, Ron, if you got enough money, you can get anything you want. And I guess, <laughs> well, I guess so. But anyway, he told me, he said, it's my God, my family, and then it's Elvis. I said, I get it. But anyway, he told me the other day, he called me and he said, have you ever thought about this? And I said, what? And he said, do you realize you have been the voice of the biggest entertainer that's ever lived on planet earth. He said, you need to think about that. I said, well, I never thought about it like that. And uh, still to this day, it kind of overwhelms me when I got to, but I got to know Priscilla Presley. She's a unbelievably wonderful person. And I love her. That's awesome, man. Not Not the way Elvis did, but I do love her. (laughs) (laughs) hey nobody loved it the way elvis did (laughs) man well you know what i love about that too is it's um it's you being able to take the stuff in stride and you're still and you still went back and did the work you know you were feeling Mm -hmm. that stuff about elvis and then you went and you you wrote that thing and and then you recorded it you know and then that stuff happened that those similar things uh, to to a lesser degree, because the the reach is 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 not as large, but still, those we have had so many so many climbers who have done, uh, you know, an artist drops a new single and time. We were talking about timing is everything, and they go and do a cover of that song and make it their own, mm-hmm. and then release it. and And we've had a couple that have done that within twenty four hours of the original song drop, and then lo and behold, they got five hundred. Uh, subscribers on their YouTube channel, 20,000 views. And now they're getting some exposure based on work ethic and timing and, Mm -hmm. and, and 
craftsmanship, you know, right. putting their own fingerprint on that song. And, right. and so that's what I love. I, I love about that. The immediacy of that is great. And I think some people would wax on it, which is understandable. Well, you know, it, it, no, nobody got 80 million viewers uh, anymore. Like, like yeah. they do on American no. Bandstand. But, uh, but still, those audiences can be reached, and it's all about the craft, and it's all about the love, and it's about that work ethic. Well, that's why I hired you to work this new song, because I know you can do it. You yes, can sir, do this, it. Yeah, I can do it. You can do it. <laughs> we are, we are going to have some fun with this. We shot some interviews yesterday, and, um, and Ronnie, I'm just so grateful you're playing in the sandbox with me on this, because we're, 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 we're kind of going to put it out a different way than you've done it before. And Exactly. Yeah. But it, we're, we're going to show how that works and people are going to stand up and respond. And and uh, and it's an amazing song. And you know what, this, what? Why don't we just talk about that right now, Ronnie? Like, tell okay, us about the sure. song and who wrote it, because uh, that's a great story. And um, and then kind of, you know, wh- where we're at with it right now. Well, I had this idea uh, because of President Ronald Reagan. Uh, he said that he believes that God. uh is in all facets of America. And he truly believed that. And uh, so we, we know that we've had God bless America, America, the beautiful God bless the USA, but I've never understood why nobody in the history of this planet. I mean, this country, which this country is only 200 and something years old. I've never understood why nobody ever said God loves America. And it's so simple. And it's one word, just one word change. And so I went ahead and I wrote the song as a personal point of view, uh, like because I have performed in every state, right? All 50 states. So I have personally witnessed the wonder of the Rockies and I've witnessed the awe of Niagara. And one of my favorite lines I put in the song is, I found heaven in Montana because if you've ever been to Montana, that's one of the most beautiful states. I just, because it's not overpopulated, it still kind of looks like it did when America was found. Uh And um, so, and then I brought it up today to, as opposed to those other wonderful songs that I love by saying, I've heard the sounds of music city. And uh, touched a starry Texas sky, which I have. And uh, I just love all the lines. But then I I love, I had, so wave on, oh glory. I'll always stand for you. And I went, nah, too political for today. And then uh-huh. I went, this is not about me. It's about God. And so I went, so wave on, oh glory. He will always stand by you. And I firmly believe that. So when we went in to do the video, let me tell you how things work and how they come together if they're meant to be. And you feel it, you know it. So I was with Merle Haggard's boy the other last weekend. And uh, after I got through performing the song live, which, by the way, I had to put cue cards under the camera again because <laughs> when I, screamed it, I just wrote it. I didn't know it. It, it kind of took me back to Dick Clark. And the American Bandstand, I thought, am I doing this again, really, after 45 years? But anyway, I, I was able to to do it anyway. The next morning, he said, you know, Ronnie, me and my girlfriend, we sat back and cried when 
you perform that song. He said, this is what this country needs right now. And I said, well, that's the reaction I'm getting. But I felt it when I, I wrote this, like God said, okay, back in 1977, I gave you a song about the most famous man on this planet. But now I'm giving you a song about me, the most famous dude in the universe. Yeah. You take it and you run with it. And I firmly believe that. I really honestly do. That's awesome. So when we did the video, it usually takes a day, mm-hmm. day and a half, two days. Do you know we did that video in less than an hour? Wow. Oh, wow. It's like, how do you do that? And Mike Green put this video together and everything that I talk about in the song, he visualized and he shows like Niagara and Montana. Mm-hmm. And, and then, you know, and the I swear the, the pines in Carolina seem to whisper in the wind and say, God loves America. Huh. He blessed this land I know. And I got that from Ronald Reagan. Now, here's the irony of that. So I'm watching a movie last week called This is the Army, which was produced by the guy that produced King Creole. Elvis movie. So anyway, I'm watching this movie and Kate Smith comes out and she goes, I'd like to introduce a new song to you written by Irving Berlin called God Bless America. First time it was ever introduced to the world. And she sang that big orchestra behind her. I mean, a big choir behind her. It was like so awe-inspiring. So as the movie goes along, all of a sudden, here's Ronald Reagan. Huh. I'm like, <laughs> in the movie. <laughs> okay, God, thank you. I know that I know what you're saying. <laughs> so anyway, and I don't have to tell y'all when it's meant to be, like you're a songwriter, you know. Yes, sir. And when it's meant to be, it, it's meant to be, and it comes together. But I do want to tell y'all, the guy has a Texaco where I lived on Center Point, that house I bought when Conway uh-huh. told me the old farm, 1802. Well, he's from Turkey. And he and I became really good friends. And I said, he said, so, so Ronnie, uh, he asked me who my favorite singers. And I said, so, and his name is Charlie, but it's not really Charlie. Uh, (laughs) I said, said, so Charlie, who did you listen to in Turkey? He goes, Elvis. I said, now, Charlie, y'all listen to Elvis in Turkey. And he goes, yes, when Elvis died, we all cried. Oh, Oh my gosh! Worldwide, what an impact that that young boy made. That's like I told you, Robert Plant walked up to Elvis. You know who Robert Plant is? Oh yeah, oh yeah, Zeppelin. Well, Robert Plant walked up to Elvis and he got right in his face and he goes, "Hey man, it ought to be a law for anybody to look like you against the law." (laughs) (laughs) Anybody look as pretty as you do? Yeah. And Eric Clapton, he he got to go to one of them movies with Elvis in Memphis when he was young. And I heard him being interviewed the other day, and bless his heart, he got that shot. I don't know if y'all know this. Yeah, yeah, oh, he, yeah. Got, he got real sick. From yeah, him. now he sick, can't yeah. play the guitar. It's messed yeah. his, oh, man. messed his hand, hand. But anyway, he was being interviewed, and he said, "Yeah, I said I got to go to a movie with Elvis, and he said I'm gonna just have to tell y'all that's about the prettiest man I ever seen." <laughs> <laughs> So, so anyway, I love like, all these stories. T- tell, okay. tell, tell the story. There's a couple of stories, but tell a couple of those Conway stories where he kept trying to bring you songs. Yeah, well, I'm going to dig into that for sure. Yeah, yeah. I, I think I told you, you know, my 29th birthday, he came to my party and 
had that 45 spinning on his finger. Happy birthday, darling. And I turned it down. So, uh, and again, I told all this at Conway's funeral service. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So he gave me that. And then, and I, so I finally went up to him and I said, we were in Baltimore. And I said, Conway, I got to ask you a question. I said, why do you keep trying to give me songs? He goes, because I believe in you. That's why. And you know what? I have never forgotten that. Do I need any accolades from the music industry when Conway Twitty looks you dead in the eye and he goes, because I believe in you. That's why. No, nope. I don't need anything. Else. <laughs> yeah. So I, I go to Center Point Barbecue just before he died. And he jumped out of his brand new Mercedes and I jumped out of my old Ford truck and he was spinning gravel coming there and he jumped out and he goes, funny, I should run into you today. And I said, why is that, sir? And he said, I got a song for you. I said, give me that sucker. I don't care what it sounds like. (laughs) I'm just going to cut it. (laughs) And I did. It was a gospel song. And I want to tell y'all, I have been so blessed, uh, I wrote this song called Never Too Old to Rock and Roll. Uh-huh. And me and Jerry Lee did it. The craziest man that ever lived on this planet. I'm telling you. <laughs> and Jerry I, Lee me, Lewis, Ronnie McDowell, you will be cool forever. That Jerry yeah. freaking Lee Lewis, man. Wow. Well, Jerry Lee and I, we, we're really good friends. And so um, we did this song and, and we were sitting back in the green room. And I said, Jerry, I got to ask you a question. I said, what the hell were you doing going over to Graceland with a gun on the dashboard? You busted through the gates. He said, well, Keller, I'm just going to tell you. I said, well, I want to hear it, Jerry. I want to know what you were doing. What were you thinking? He said, Keller, I was tired of being number two. (laughs) (laughs) I was going to be number one with the bullet. That's right. I said, you surely weren't going to shoot Elvis, were you? He said, I just told you I was tired of being number two. But he came into the studio that day, and he had a fifth of Jack Daniels. He said it on the on the piano, and he goes, now, Killer, now, before we do your song, we're going to do this song right here, but i got to have a little drink first, kind of calm me down. He drank half of that fifth. This is oh, true my story. gosh. And he goes, Killer, come on now. Before we do your song, we're going to do this. And I said, what are we doing, Jerry Lee? He goes, heartache number one was when you left me. And we did that song, and it's on my new album on Curb, and I wouldn't take anything for that. Heartache's by the number. Oh, that's awesome. Oh, wow. And so, anyway, Jerry Lee is still, but let me tell you all this. He's crazy, but he's got one of the best hearts You'll ever know. And I was standing with Hank Snow. I just did the Opry. I'm standing there talking to Hank Snow. And me and his boy, Jimmy Snow, did a video with the first cartoon. I don't know if you know this, but I'm a painter. Paint for Disney, all that stuff. But anyway, so I did a a video with a song that I wrote called uh, American Music. And we put all these cartoon cats in it. 5,000 sales I had to do took me forever but anyway when we when we got it done it was absolutely beautiful little cartoon cats playing the instruments and everything and it was the first time anybody had ever done anything like that so i'm standing backstage with hank he was still living i love you gotta love hank snow 
That'll be gay, the whale rolling down the track, says my true loving daddy ain't a coming back. Jimmy Snow <laughs> told me this story. He said, me and Elvis and my dad and the Wilburn brothers were at the Jacksonville, Florida Theater. Elvis went on first, then me, the Wilburn brothers. Hank Snow came out, my dad, and me and Elvis standing backstage. And he was going, that'll be gay. By the way, that was number one uh-huh. right then. Hottest record, and I had a big eight, a whale rolling down the track. And in the middle of that song, the crowd was going, we want Elvis, we want Elvis. And Jimmy said, Elvis, we're in trouble. And Elvis goes, man, I know, I just hate this. So halfway through that song, Hank Snow, God's Truth, he goes, well, if you'll just let me finish this number, the little bastard will come out and sing you another song. <laughs> True story. So I was standing there talking to Hank Snow and talking about that. And I said, Hank, did that, Did you really do that? And he goes, yeah, son, I did that. Yes, I did. Well, all of a sudden, here comes my buddy, Keith Whitley. He walked up to me and he goes, I don't know if you know Keith, but he was the most gentle talking human I've ever known in my life. He goes, Ronnie, I just want you to know, I just bought your new album. I said, you bought my new album, Keith? He goes, yes. He said, I love that song you and Jerry Lee did, Never Too Old to Rock and Roll. My point to this is, how many artists do that? Oh, yeah. How many artists do that? I mean, Buy another artist albums. Yeah. But I love that. That's and awesome. One, and I miss him and one of the sweetest, most gentlest people I've ever known in my life. And what a talent. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no doubt. I mean, I guess. And I don't want to be talking you boys' ears off. I know I'm telling y'all stories, but, you know, these are this is just my life. And We're asking for these yeah. stories, you know. Well, one thing that we talked about a little bit is so Conway pitched you Happy birthday, right? On your mm-hmm. birthday. Yep. Good job reading the signs there. And hey, then- I never thought about that. <laughs> I never thought about that. <laughs> and then the stars aligned. I was like, nah. And- <laughs> That's, that is, I've never thought of that. Well, the unknown. Thank you for bringing that to my attention. <laughs> wow. That's going to be incorporated into the show. There you go. And, and then he also pitched you, I'd love to lay you down. Hell yeah. Right? Which, well, that ain't the end of it. He also gave me, and I turned it down, tight-fitting jeans. He goes, <clears throat> he played that for me, and he goes, now this song fits you more than it does me. He said, you wear them old tight jeans all the time. <laughs> he said, "He said I don't wear those. And I said, yeah, I know. And so he played me the song, and I said, no, Conway. He said, you know that older women's song? That fits me more than it does you. <laughs> and I said, <laughs> and I tell you what, he and I were in Baltimore. Just I finished my thing, and he's getting ready to go, and he pulled that curtain back. He said, you see those first four rows out there? I said, yes, sir. And he said, you're going to inherit them one day. And, and they're all blue hairs in the did. first four rows. Oh, wow. And I did. But I love them, though. I tell That's everybody awesome. I got the best fans in the world. That's awesome. So I think, you know, we talked a little bit off air about it. It's like, you know, those are great songs. Those are monster songs, number one. Yeah. But they weren't 
for you. And and I bet that if if some of the writers on some of those songs had just known, they didn't know what was going to happen, that they'd be huge hits, they just heard, well, you know what? Ronnie McDowell passed on your song. Some writers would think, my song sucks. I need to write, uh, this song isn't any good, or whatever. Somebody passed on it. It's not so much is a song a good song or a bad song if somebody passes on it is it the right song for that artist that's, that's exactly lesson. right that's so, exactly right because i felt like that that those songs were not for me mm-hmm. i i i've always i know this sounds crazy but there's just something for instance this guy named tim pote i did a winery in chattanooga He's a banker, but he writes songs. So he sent me four songs again, and I listened to all of them, but there was one song in there that got captured my attention. Uh-huh. You know why? Because it was just a tweak, just a little different. It just had a little something different to it. It was called Ever Loving Woman. Uh-huh. And uh, the melody and the and the verse was just a little bit different. Uh, the melody and the chorus was wonderful. Uh, it, some of it was a little repetitious, the, the lyric, and uh-huh. I called him and told him, I said, I'll record this if you allowed me to get some of the repetition out of there. And he said, Ronnie, I don't care what you do with it. Just <laughs> record it. And <laughs> I, said, I, said, well, I, I said, well, I'm going to, which, you know, but my point to that is I heard something a little different. Does that make sense? Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. And that's, you know, because I think part of the value um, that you can provide, you know, to our climbers out there is, is looking at it from both successful writer and successful artist. You've seen both sides of it. And, yes. and you can see, like, okay, I've written songs for Farron Young, for, you know, all these different people, uh, right. George Strait and, and Johnny Cash. But then, you know, people pitch you songs. And, right. and you get to be on the other side of that. And I'm curious, like, as a writer – like I'm, I'm a songwriter myself. I sing like a horse. I'm, I'm I don't have that gene, right? So, um, I'm always writing for other people, right. and sometimes it's easy to get writing for the writer's room. You write for your co-writer. You fight. You write for the row. That sort of stuff. But guys like you are out on stage, and that's where the rubber meets the road. And how do you think, like, as a performer, you know that influences like what songs you choose, what songs you write, because you're writing for the stage. I would imagine because you know. End result is I want to stand up and I want to sing this for a whole bunch of people. How's that going to land on them versus guys like me? Sometimes we get in the room and we get all, you know, in our own heads. and Like, this is really cool little riff or this is a nice little twist on a lyric. And sometimes we can forget. Ideally, what we want is for guys like you to go sing this in front of a whole bunch of people. Right. Well, and since you said that, um, <clears throat> my friend Paul Overstreet, uh, he said, you know, you've had older women watching girls go by. He said, uh-huh. all these songs, he said, I've got a title for you. Uh, there's a lot of lonely women out there. Uh-huh. Well, I said, Paul, that's so simple in its beauty. It's it's magnificent because it's, it's straight on. I said, I know we've had lonely women make good lovers, older uh-huh. women make better lovers. And I said, but what you said is just a little bit of just you tweaked it just where it's just saying the right thing because you know I hate to say this but probably 99.9% of the lady population are lonely yeah and so there's even if they're with somebody that's exactly right so there 
there's a lot of lonely women out there. So Paul doesn't even know that I finished this song because I tried to call him. I had to drive. I love writing when I take these trips and I'm by myself in mm -hmm. a car. That's when I write because you got all these miles, you know, and uh -huh. you can think. And uh, that's when I write some of my best songs when I'm, well, I, King is gone. That's when you wrote you know, The King yeah, is Gone. Yeah. That's what I was going to say. Call, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so I, I, when I, I got to put my vocal on it, but it's already finished. So then, uh -huh. then I'm going to send it to Paul and I'm going to say, Paul, I hope you like this. So hopefully he will. <laughs> oh, I love that. Yeah. I mean, that's, and you're coming from a place of that's, that's a truth. There's a lot of lonely women out there, and it's like, well, if you, can, truth. if you can speak to the masses, mm -hmm. then you've got it. It's like this song that I just wrote and recorded, God Loves America. I, I wish I could show y'all and tell y'all, like on my phone, what this song is doing mm -hmm. and affecting people and how they're responding to it. They're wanting it. They want to buy the video. They want to buy the mm -hmm. song. And so... It they is amazing. This, they need this message right now. Exactly right. God loves America. Yeah. And I truly, honestly believe that. And I just believe that this is what uh, I was. It's like uh, Merle's boy told me. I said, I don't know why anybody. I'm telling y'all, I don't know why anybody hasn't said that. And Merle's boy, he goes, because it was meant for you to say it. Don't you get it? <laughs> so yeah. I get, you know. Hey, Ronnie, I got a question for you. Sure. What is the, if you, if, if you had to come up with one, the most profound piece of songwriting advice you ever got, uh, what, what was it and who did it come from? Well, I'm going to be totally honest with you. My mentor, Conway Twitty, was to me, one of the greatest writers that ever lived. Mm -hmm. I mean, the image of me, hello, darling. I mean, the list goes on and on. Yeah. But, mm -hmm. but think about it. They all had magic mm -hmm. to them. The st and Troy Seals, mm -hmm. what a songwriter my friend Troy Seals is. Oh, my goodness. I mean, but Conway told me one day, he said, uh, here's what I want you to think about. And he always wanted me to ride with him after a show. And he had said in the passenger seat and the, my friend Billy Parks, the driver, and the, I'd sit right there on the floor and that's what we'd do, go down the road to the next gig. I did that for eight years. Yeah. And uh, he said, now here's what, when you're writing a song, here's what I want you to think about. He said, I want you to write for them ladies. Don't write songs for these hard ankles. <laughs> he said, these hairy-legged men, they don't buy your records. These ladies, these women, you got to write for these ladies. And I said, well, boy, I'm telling you, if anybody uh, knows that, you do. I've yeah. never been this far before. I mean, the list goes, just uh -huh. the one song, Hello, Darling. Yeah. Well, he ain't yeah. saying, hello, gentlemen. You know, it's, yeah. he's saying <laughs> yeah. to these women. So that's one. Of, that's why I wrote, watching girls go by, which now has been played almost three million times. Ooh. And I don't know if you know this, but when it crosses a million, your royalties triple. I did not did know that. Oh, yeah. Unfortunately, you know I did that? not know that. I didn't know that. I figured you'd know that, Brian. I didn't know that. That was news to oh, me. Oh, yeah. Your royalties yeah. triple when it crosses the million. And you hit that millionaire so, status. Yes. Yeah. That's it. Oh, that's yeah. awesome. Is that is that retroactive? 
<laughs> or is that from then forward? That's what we wish. Yeah. yeah right. <laughs> but, I mean, what great advice. Cause I mean, obviously Conway knew what the heck he was talking about and it's hard to go broke making women happy. Well, actually, no, I've done that with my wife. Never mind. But anyway. Yeah, Tim McGraw is not going to talk about that. It's a business doing pleasure with you. It's a business. It's, it's right for your audience. It's keeping your audience in mind. What does she want to hear? What is going to make her swoon? What's going to make her want to drag that guy, that, that hairy-legged guy, to your concert? Yep. So she'll bring him. You'll get his ticket money, even if he doesn't really want to be there. So, you know, I think that's just – it's simple, but it, it's so – what I was alluding to earlier about being in the room and, and writing to like, oh, look how clever I am or look how this has never been said before. This is interesting. Dude, write for the girls in the front row. Like what do they want to hear? Like it doesn't have to be as hard as we make it sometimes, but it's it's difficult to do do something a little different, and that's where the craft really comes in to stand out on doing that. But – it's it's hard to go wrong, man. Just writing for your audience, know your audience, and serve them. That's exactly right. And I just wrote this new thing, and I'm going back to Elvis again. And I don't want y'all think I'm wearing Elvis out, but it gave me a great idea because this friend of mine, um, Elvis had called her and wanted her to come to Palm Springs where he lived, and uh, and he was. Uh, I shouldn't put this in a time frame because I don't want to say anything. But anyway, uh, I said, so she said, when I got over there, it was just him. And I said, uh, so what'd y'all do? And she's never said anything. And I said, so what'd y'all do? I said, did y'all have fun? She goes, we did, Ronnie. We did. I said, she said, I know what you're reverting to. And I said, well, I'm just asking. She said, okay, well, I'm just going to be honest with you. We did. So the next morning, I had to. I was standing in the bathroom and putting, getting my hair fixed because my mother had called, and this real famous person was coming over for supper, and she. I had to go home and help my mom. So Elvis knocks on the door, opens the door up, and she goes, "Yeah, what is it, Elvis? Hey, uh, you know, I've got to hurry up, and I got to told you what I had to do." And he goes, uh, "Can we do that again?" And I instantly went, that's a song. Can yeah. we do that again yeah. like we did last night? You were so crazy, sexy, had me going right out of my mind. Can we do that again here in the morning light? So I just wrote that, and those women are going crazy over that song. Yeah. Think about it. Yeah, I mean, you're saying it, but you're not. Yeah, yeah. That's that's the key. You got. You just can't come out and say it. But Conway did. I'd love to lay you down. Yeah. <laughs> well, that Darling, was the most blatant. And he down. said, "I told you, it's about a man and his wife." And I said, "I don't care, Conway. That's the dirtiest song I ever heard in my life. <laughs> Huge number one record." Oh yeah, I, I think it was that stuff that uh, that inspired Jimmy Buffett to write, why don't we get drunk and screw? Cause he was like, hearing all those Conway songs. He was like, Oh, you're, all, you're dancing all around. He's like, I'm just going to say it. He just, just come, come out and say it. And, say it. and it works out all right for Buffett too. You think? Well, my, yeah. favorite right th- on. my favorite thing he ever wrote though was come Monday. Oh, so good. Oh Lord. I just, and if you see that video of him singing that song, just so fluid and effortless. Mm-hmm. And, and Jimmy, 
for some reason, he doesn't think he's a good singer. And I'm like, man, have you ever just listened to Come Monday? Uh-huh. That, I don't know what it is about that. It's something in his voice. But yeah. there and then again, that was meant to be. I mean, oh. Jimmy built an empire, let's face it, on two or three songs. Yeah. yeah. But, dude, I love his box set. I've worn that sucker. Oh, I do, too. Ow. I love everything he ever did. But he, he thinks he can't sing. Yeah. Well, speaking of box sets, funny? you – uh, I have the uh, George Strait box set straight out of the box, and you have a song on there, at least one. Oh, yeah, under, under these conditions. Under these conditions. So, and yeah. were you on If You Ain't Loving, You Ain't Living? That's it. Oh. Yeah. So, hey, okay, man, so, I, got, I got my platinum album over here. <laughs> dude, so, so I've worn that box set out, and uh, but I'm going to be honest, Ronnie, that the song kind of hurt my feelings a little bit because – I was very, very good at being very, very dateless for a very, very long time. And that song is coming out. Going, I, I'm like, I guess I ain't living. So but I got over it. I got over it. You ain't living. So I wrote some songs about it. But, uh, yeah, no, great song. And that's just so awesome because I'm like, I love getting to meet people and finding out because I didn't. I don't remember who wrote what on the box set or whatever, but yeah. finding out that you got to hang with somebody that like has written songs you love and recorded songs you love. It's, it's an honor. So thanks for being here. Yeah. Man. This well, is thank you. And I, and I, Hey, I love those songs you wrote, man. You're a good well, thank writer. You. Thank you. Thank you. And, and Randy uh, is a good friend of mine and I just hate what happened to him. Oh man. Yeah. When I first heard him sing, uh, of course I've done shows and shows with him, but he's one of my best friends and I just hate that so much. Mm-hmm. That uh, whatever happened to him, whatever the reasons were, you know, this industry yeah. can uh, do that to people if you let it. Yeah. You know, of course, I put my emphasis on my children. That's what I do. You know? That's that's a good thing to do. I tell you, I was I was very blessed because, um, you know, Randy recorded that song of ours, Every Head Bowed, that I wrote with Brandon Kenny. And so we're talking about Randy Travis in case you all missed that. But um, anyway, the label ended up reaching out you know, after he'd cut the song going, hey, Randy, would like to ride with you guys. I'm yeah. like, yes, you know, and because absolute legend, never met him before. And so Brandon and I go over to his, uh, he had the apartment off Music Row, like a 19th maybe upstairs above like the publishing company or something. So we go up there first and he just, you know, had his morning workout. So we're just waiting on him a little bit. He was like, you know, showering up or whatever after his workout. And uh, I turned to Brandon and I'm like, like if he comes out like just like in his bathrobe, like smoking a pipe or something. We're staying. It doesn't matter. Like, <laughs> it doesn't matter how awkward it might get. We don't care how weird this, is, this might get. We're, we're hanging we're, out. We're staying. We're going to get this song done. Yeah. But, I mean, he was the coolest dude. It was it was one of my very favorite uh, days as a songwriter, as you know, a professional in the business, like getting to write a song with Randy because there was like no sense of ego and he's Randy freaking Travis. He has every reason oh, yeah. to have a ton of ego. He was cool. He was in there. He wasn't like, write me a song boys. He was like, let's get in, man. He was like striking the first chord and telling good stories. And it was just, it was like everything you'd want it to be, except he didn't cut it. Yeah, <laughs> but, he, other than that, it <laughs> but he's a very humble guy. You know? Oh man. It was sweetheart. It was such a yeah, great he's day. A hun- he's like Keith Whitley, very laid back. Yeah. Yeah, so good. So I was very blessed that I've had this, I've gotten to spend a little time with them. So, right. Oh, well, Ronnie, thank you so much for saying yes to this, yes. and uh, I am excited to report back to the climbers here the success that we're about to have uh, working your video and these songs and the DVDs and 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 all that stuff and packaging that stuff together. And 
uh, you know, super honored to be working with you. And thanks for sharing these stories on our podcast. Uh, I, I think there's so many, there's so much gold in there with, with just, you know, learning how things just kind of fall into your lap and what you're supposed to do with it and, 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 and how you're just supposed to keep rolling with those punches. And, and as long as you're in the right lane, that energy is going to keep coming to you. You know what I mean? Yeah. And, and I tell, I tell all these young artists that ask me for advice, you know, uh, I'll be honest with you. There is no secret formula, but you do have to be in the right place at the right time. Yeah. And if, it, and if it happens, you, you need to be able to back it up when it happens. Mm-hmm. Do the work. Yes. Yeah. What if they say yes, right? Exactly. <laughs> All right. Well, that brings us to the end of another Killer Climb episode. Thank you, Ronnie McDowell. And um, guys, this podcast exists because we want you to win. So keep on climbing. And we'll see you at the top. Y'all take care. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points.